Please turn with me to your study outlines. And as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are watching online. We are so glad that you are with us. Just, I hear these stories all the time, but just within the last seven days, I've heard of people watching the broadcast in Jerusalem, in Spain, uh, in Connecticut, and in Kauai. Just over the last seven days, had people come up and say they were watching it in those four very different locations and many others beyond that uh, through our online service. And so for those of you that are watching online, we welcome you and are so glad that you're a part of our study of God's Word this morning. And also as we continue, come down the home stretch. Uh, next Sunday we will finish up this series and then we'll pivot to a different one as we build into the Christmas season. But we're, um, today and the next Sunday we'll finish up our Momentum Through the Finish Line, which is a study of Second Chronicles and its principles for finishing well in the Christian life. We want to be followers of Christ who don't just start well, but we also finish well. And so last Sunday, I gave out these uh, Finish Strong bracelets, and you've already got those in Claremont, and, and those of you at the hangar of Montana already got those. But here in, at Pomona, at the Pomona campus, uh, the response was so overwhelming. And by the way, with the Momentum campaign, it was so overwhelming last week, your response to it, that we ran out of these packets. So now we've got them refilled out there and got another batch of them out there. So thank you so much for your response. Well, also, the response was so overwhelming that we, um, even though it was just like a buck a piece, uh, that's what it cost me. And if you don't have a dollar, don't even worry about it. Just go to the Resource Center, pick up one of these. But I encourage you now, we've got another whole batch of them that we ordered. We've got them back there at the Resource Center. So if you didn't get a chance to get one last week, or if you'd like to get one this week, I encourage you to grab that. Even if you don't wear these, just put it on your dresser or put it uh, next to the mirror in your bathroom, just as a reminder that we want to be a group of followers of Jesus who finish strong. Uh, Paul writes in Acts 20, verse 24, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And then at the end of his life, he was able to say in 2 Timothy 4, verse 7, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Why don't we just keep that up there for a moment and let's read that out loud together. Out loud together. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. Uh, Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 6 and 11, It tells us uh, why we have all these stories in the Bible of people that weren't just good examples, but also people that were bad examples. And see, the wonderful thing about the Christian life is even though we get knocked down, we can always, with God's help, get back up again. One of my favorite verses is Proverbs 24, verse 16. The righteous may fall seven times, but they'll always get back up again. The wicked fall once, and they don't get back up again. And so the righteous may fall again and again. You may get knocked down. But the key is looking to God and seeing his help to get back on your feet once again and to finish the race. Uh, I don't know how many of you are old enough to remember the toy that used to be out there called Weebles. Anybody remember Weebles? All right. This will be fewer as the services go on today. Uh, they, a lot of them do it at 8.30, some here at 9.45, very few at 11.11. But do you remember how they advertise Weebles? Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. Repeat that with me out loud, will you? (laughs) Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. And really, that's true of Christians. Christians wobble. uh, They do fall down sometimes, but they always pop back up again with God's help. When we turn to God, he'll help us bounce back up 
uh, once again and to finish that race strong. Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. Or if they do fall down, they pop back up again. And Christians, maybe today you're in that desert spot. Maybe you're wobbling. Maybe you have fallen down. But the righteous may fall seven times, but they always, with God's help, will bounce up one more time. It says, now these things occurred in the Bible as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Why are there so many mistake-ridden people in the Bible? Why does the Bible include all these stories of people making bad decisions? Well, to serve as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. And so that's why God includes these sometimes sordid stories within his word. I, I love uh, John Ortberg. He's one of my favorite preachers. And he, and he writes, have you ever noticed how many messed up families there are in just the book of Genesis alone? Have you ever read the book of Genesis? It's rated R. Uh, here's a quick summary. Cain is jealous of his brother Abel, and so he kills him. Lamech introduces polygamy to the world. Noah, the most righteous man of his generation, gets drunk and curses his own grandson. Lot, when his home is surrounded by residents of Sodom, who want to violate his visitors, offers instead that they can have sex with his daughters. Later on, his daughters get him drunk and get impregnated by him, and Lot is the most righteous man in Sodom. Abraham plays favorites between his sons Isaac and Ishmael. They are estranged. Isaac plays favorites between his sons Jacob and Esau. They're bitter enemies for 20 years. Jacob plays favorites between Joseph and the other 11 sons. The brothers want to kill Joseph and end up selling him into slavery. Their marriages are disasters. Abraham had sex with his wife's servant, then sends her and their son off to the wilderness at his wife's request. Isaac and Rebekah fight over which boy gets the blessing. Jacob marries two wives, ends up with both of their maids as his concubines, and then they get into a fertility contest. Jacob's firstborn son, Reuben, sleeps with his father's concubine, and another son, Judah, sleeps with his daughter-in-law when she disguises herself as a prostitute. She does this because she's childless, since her first two husbands, both sons of Judah, were so wicked that God killed them both, and Judah reneged on his obligation to her. These people are sickos. <laughs> Isaac should have said to Abraham, gee, dad, why don't you take Wally up to the mountain this time and sacrifice him? Now, not many of you got that joke, did you? How many of you remember Leave it to Beaver? Anybody remember Leave it to Beaver? Okay, the book of Genesis is not Leave it to Beaver. It's Jerry Springer. And they all need Dr. Phil. Now, why did God include these things in the Bible? Well, these serve as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. They are examples that are warnings uh, for us. We don't have to learn everything in the Christian life by personal experience. We can learn it by looking at positive examples and negative examples within God's word. Now, just one side note, it also shows the authenticity of the Bible. Do you know that the Bible is utterly different than any other work from antiquity? All the other works just completely whitewash their, their leaders. Their leaders are awesome all the time, never do anything wrong. Pharaoh, so-and-so, was the greatest guy in the world, never lost a battle. King so-and-so of Assyria or Babylon was just the greatest guy in the world, never lost a Bible. Now, we know from other historical sources that that's not true. And yet they always make it all positive all the time. Then you come to the Bible. And it's one of the things, the thousand of reasons why I believe it's got the fingerprints of God all over it. Because it tells it as it really is. 
not as we wish it to be. It tells the good, the bad, and the ugly. It tells it exactly the way it happens. It includes it all in there, and it's for our benefit. Now, this is true of our lives as well. Russell Spear from our church sent me this uh, quote the other day. I really liked it. Generally, it is your choice. Will your life serve as an example or as a warning? Each one of us have a choice in our lives. Will our lives serve as an example like Paul who said, follow me as I follow Christ? Or will our life serve as a warning where people say, don't do what so-and-so did because you see where that ended up, the consequences of that. We've all got a choice. Is our life gonna serve as an example or as a warning? Now, Jehoshaphat, the king we're looking at today, at the beginning of his life was an example. The end of his life was a warning. Number one, strong start. He was devoted to the ways of the Lord. Jehoshaphat, his son, he was the son of Asa. Last Sunday we studied Asa. Now this is his son, Jehoshaphat. Succeeded him as king and strengthened himself against Israel. Now this is the confusing part of the Bible. There's a a civil war going on and it's split between the northern 10 tribes that remain being called Israel and the southern tribe of Judah and Benjamin that are now called Judah. So the northern part is Israel, southern part is Judah. That's why he's strengthening himself against Israel because that's the northern part. He is a southern king. He stationed troops in all the fortified cities of Judah and put garrisons in Judah and in the towns of Ephraim that his father Asa had captured. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he followed the ways of his father, David. Not his literal father, that was Asa, but his ancestor, David, before him. He did not consult the Baals. These were false gods. It was involvement in the occult or Satan worship to worship the Baals. He did not consult the Baals, but sought the God of his father and followed his commands rather than the practices of the northern part, Israel. The Lord established the kingdom under his control. And all Judah brought gifts to Jehoshaphat so that he had great wealth and honor. His heart was devoted to the ways of the Lord. What a great thing for our tombstone, huh? His or her heart was devoted to the ways of the Lord. Furthermore, he removed the high places. Remember, these are worshiping the right God, but in the wrong place. They're supposed to worship God in the temple, but occasionally they made these alternate worship sites on the hills or in the mountains. He removed the high places and the Asherah poles. These are occult worship, again, like the Baals uh, from Judah. He was devoted to the ways of the Lord. Number two, he promoted the teaching of God's word. It says in verse seven, in the third year of his reign, he sent his officials, Ben-Hale, Obadiah, Zechariah, Nethael, and Micaiah, to teach in the towns of Judah. This is a wonderful thing. He sent out teaching, Bible teacher teams, across the countryside to every town, to every village, to teach the people God's word. With them were certain Levites, Shemaiah, Nethaniah, Zebediah, Asahel, Shemaramoth, Jehonathan, Adonijah, Tobijah, and Tob Adonijah, and the priests Elishema and Jehoram. Any of you young parents looking for alternative names for your children? I mean, I guarantee there will not be a mistake in the first grade class, which one's yours and somebody else's, okay? They they taught throughout Judah, taking with them the book of the law of the Lord. Isn't this a great thing? He sends out these teaching teams across Judah. They taught throughout Judah, taking with them the book of the law uh, and of the Lord. They went around to all the towns of Judah 
and they taught the people. This is the model we try to have here at our church and, and encourage you to connect with a Sunday school class or a Bible study group or a life group or, or, or a small group or a Bible study group. If you get our Connect brochure, there's over 100 different ways to connect with other people and to connect with God. We should be studying the Word daily in what we call a quiet time or a daily Bible reading time and then uh, regularly with other people and here in the preaching of God's Word. And so this goes on and he breaks it down all across the town. These teaching teams, these Sunday school teachers, these Bible study teachers that went out to teach the people. Can I just give you a little commercial of what's going to happen in January? I am so pumped about this thing. There's this thing that Max Licato developed. How many of you have ever read a book by Max Licato? Probably the most prolific Christian writer in all of history. He and a guy, a pastor named Randy Frazee, they co-pastor a church in San Antonio, Texas. And they came up with this thing called The Story to promote Bible reading and the understanding of the big picture of God's Word. And it has just had fabulous results. It's sweeping the nation to get people into God's word and to understand it better. And I will start preaching this series starting the first Sunday in January. And then I would encourage you, maybe uh, you in your Sunday school class or in your Bible study groups or your small groups, there's small group curriculum that goes along with what I'm preaching. You can study in your classes or in your Bible study groups or small groups or start small groups to study this. And you can talk to Pastor Lisa, who's our pastor of spiritual formation. She's kind of in charge of, of the Bible studies that go on all across the church and the breakdown into these groups. And you could talk to Pastor Lisa about getting that material and would encourage you to do so because this thing is just going to be an awesome resource to help us better understand God's Word and help our friends connect with God's Word as well. And you'll hear more about that as we come to January. But it's in the spirit of Jehoshaphat who promoted the teaching, the reading, the study, and the understanding of God's Word. And then number three, he made justice and fairness high priorities. It says in verse four, Jehoshaphat, and his name in the Hebrew literally means the Lord judges, lived in Jerusalem, and he went out again among the people from Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim and turned them back to the Lord, the God of their ancestors. This is wonderful. It's almost like a political campaign, but he doesn't have to do a campaign because he's king. But it's like a political campaign where he goes all across the countryside urging people to turn their hearts back to the Lord, the God of their ancestors. What a fabulous, fabulous thing. Now, let me just make a little bit of a tangent. Is we've got about, what, six or seven weeks left in 2013. And as we move into the holidays, as Pastor Shom said, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. As we move into Thanksgiving and, and uh, Christmas, and, and we have our Christmas events, our big Christmas outreaches. We have our Thanksgiving Eve service here, and then come celebrate Christmas. And, and, and then we have um, um, the Christmas Eve services, and then New Year's Eve, and that kind of thing. As we move from Thanksgiving through the holidays through New Year's Day, this is a wonderful time to help our friends turn their hearts back to God and to come home for the holidays. Our oikos, the Greek word for household, the eight to 15 in our sphere of influence. The, these next six or seven weeks are just perfect to leverage them to help those in our sphere of influence at work, in our neighborhood, in our families come home, find home for the holidays, to their home, to reconnect with their creator God. There's no better way to use the holidays than to leverage that to help people come home for the holidays. Uh, it says here that he turned them back to the Lord, the God of their ancestors. He appointed judges in the land in each of the fortified cities of Judah. 
he told them, consider carefully what you do, because you are not judging for mere mortals, but for the Lord who is with you whenever you give a verdict. Now let the fear of the Lord be on you. Judge carefully, for with the Lord our God there is no injustice or partiality or bribery. You know, I love seeing Pastor Shaw and Pastor Tamiko up here together because they're called by God to, to stretch us as a church family. I know they've stretched me to, to fairness, to no partiality, to fight injustice. You know, that whole alternative Christmas giving catalog that Pastor Shaw produces here is just a marvelous thing. I mean, we give away so much stuff we don't need to each other at the Christmas season. And don't get me wrong, I think a little bit of stuff is, is a great thing. But how about a little bit of stuff and then give something to help some family who has absolutely nothing, who's in poverty. G- give each other, let's give each other something, you know, fun, but then let's give them a goat in their honor to a family in Uganda, or some chickens to a, a family in South America. I mean, let, let, let's do something to leverage Christmas to connect our friends with Jesus and also to help people in need, to help fight against poverty in the name of Jesus, to fight against injustice in the name of Jesus. And then Tamiko, how she just challenges us to just kind of be different in our shopping so that we're more fair, to help out those farmers to get a fair price so they don't have to sell their kids into slavery to make ends meet. And so let's, let's be used by God this Christmas season like Jehoshaphat to promote the teaching of God's word, to bring people home for the holidays. He made justice and fairness high priorities. And then number four, his strength came from worship. And you can read this story in detail, but let me just give you the highlights. Basically, they have this huge army that attacks them, that's coming up to attack them. And what they do is they take the choir without weapons and put them on the front line. Now, you think it's hard to recruit choir members now for John Burroughs. Imagine if John, the director of our choir and orchestra, had said, oh, yeah, by the way, if ever we have a war come up, we're sticking you at the front line. We're not giving you any weapons. We're just sticking you there at the front line. But the why he did that was to show God that they understood that their ultimate protection and defense and strength came from him and not from their own abilities. And that's what we do in worship. That's why the first thing we do when we come in here, first day of the week, First thing we do, we come in here, and what did we sing this morning? Um, how, how great thou art. And forgive me, you've heard me say this a hundred times, but whenever I come into worship, the reason I love worship is when I come in, my problems are this big, and my view of God is this big. But as I begin to worship, my view of God begins to expand, and by comparison, my problems seem more manageable. And that's why we put worship right off the bat. So just from the beginning, we say, God, our strength comes from you. Um, Just looking at the bolded parts there in your study outline. Verse 3, when they faced this vast army, alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. When he faced this difficult situation, this situation he couldn't think himself out of, alarmed, he resolved to inquire of the Lord. Lord, he says, uh, skipping down to verse middle of verse 5, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? Turn to the next page of your study outline. You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Then verse 12, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. And then one of the great phrases in all the Bible, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. 
You know, if you're here today or watching online, I don't believe this is happening by accident. God called you here by divine appointment because he knows that you're in a desert place. He knows that you're facing a vast army. And I don't know what it is for you. I know what it is in my life. Maybe for you, the vast army is a, is a doctor's diagnosis. Or maybe it's a difficulty in your family or a relational problem or a financial situation or you can't find a job. And so you're facing this vast army. And he says, Lord, we don't know what to do. But our eyes are on you. And that's what you do when you don't know what to do. You turn your eyes on him. Skipping down to the last part of verse 15. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. God invited you here to say that to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but it's God's. Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. So talk about a strong start. He was devoted to the ways of the Lord. He promotes the teaching of God's word. He makes justice and fairness high priorities. His strength came from worship. But now he has a weak finish, just like the other kings that we've been studying in this series. Now, what I want to do is just with the remainder of time that we have, I just want to focus in on the first point here. And for your daily Bible reading or quiet time, I encourage you to read points two, three, and four. We've kind of covered them with regard to other kings that we've studied or they're self-explanatory. So I encourage you to study that on your own because I just want to spend the remainder of our time to kind of drill down a little deeper on this first trait of Jehoshaphat that got him into trouble. And it wasn't at the end of his life. It was throughout his life. This is one of those where he wasn't just stumbling at the end of the finish line. He, he had this problem throughout his life, this, this trait. He had, Jehoshaphat had a bad habit of getting involved with the wrong people. That was his, his weakness, the chink in his armor, his Achilles heel. He had this bad habit of getting involved with the wrong people. Now, last Sunday, we saw that his dad is our hero in this whole thing. Because remember his dad, Asa, when his grandmother would have been Jehoshaphat's great-grandmother, but when Asa, his dad's grandmother, makes an idol, he fires her, kicks her off the throne. He cans granny when she does this thing, you know, makes this idol. And he was willing to make the tough choices. And we talk about how Asa was willing to make the tough choices. And we talked about how, whether it's in our Christian lives or churches or denominations or Christian organizations or Christian schools, it's the little things that'll trip you up. You gotta watch. It's the little compromises that end up getting you in trouble uh, over a period of time. And I gave the example of Harvard that started off as a Bible school. And then I also talk about the YMCA, which started off as an on-fire Christian organization. But I left out the best illustration of all for Southern Californians is the USC Trojans. Let's put their uh, picture of the stadium up there, which was rocking last night, I am sure. You know, Pastor Tomiko and her husband, Chris, they were there last night. And I said, Tamika, I'm surprised you have a voice left, you know, after, after last night. Um, boy, talk about stumbling, but coming back. Uh, Jim Milhan, who's the coach for many years at Azusa Pacific University, he told me between services, I didn't see the game, but I just read about it online afterwards. But um, <laughs> he told me that I guess the kicker missed an after point. 
he's the one that made the 47-yard field goal. Is that right? And so is that not an example of the righteous may stumble seven times, but they will always, weebles may wobble, but they always bounce back up again. The kid that misses the after point later on nails the 47-yard field goal as time expired. Well, anyway, USC Trojans, they have been called the Trojans since 1910. But can anybody tell me what they were called between 1888 and 1910? Anybody know what they're called? The Methodists. They were the Methodists. Here they are. This is the USC Trojans in 1888. They were a Christian school. They were a Methodist Christian school. And so the first name of the Trojans in 1888, the first name, they were the Methodists. Now, USC is a wonderful educational institution. My daughter Leah got her master's degree there. It's a great uh, institution. Uh, they beat the number four team in the country last, uh, last night, you know. But I think you'd agree with me, they've drifted a bit in their Christian commitment as a training school for followers of Christ. And it's those little compromises that na- nail you over time. Second Chronicles 18, verse 1. Now, Jehoshaphat had great wealth and honor. God had blessed him because of his faithfulness. And he allied himself with Ahab by marriage. Are you kidding me? Ahab and his wife Jezebel are the most notorious, idol-worshiping, Satan-occult-involved people in all the scriptures. Here's Jehoshaphat, heart for God. And he gives his son, it was arranged marriages back there, he arranges a marriage for his son Jehoram with the daughter Athaliah of Ahab and Jezebel. You know what that would be like? It would be like this. It'd be like Billy and Ruth Graham. There's the oldest son of Billy Graham, Franklin Graham. It'd be like Billy and Ruth Graham arranging a marriage for Franklin with the daughter of Adolf Hitler and Ava Braun. That, that's what it'd be like. You say, oh, Glenn, that's kind of harsh. No, it's not. Athaliah, Ahab and Jezebel's little girl, she brought idol worship with her to Judah and she ends up trying to kill all of her grandkids to hold on to the throne. She like, wants to kill her grandkids uh, to, to get the throne of, of, of Judah. And so here's this godly guy. He allies himself with Ahab by marriage. If you skip down to the bold part there at the end of verse three, Jehoshaphat, here's what he says to Ahab. I am as you are, and my people as your people. My goodness. And so he had this bad habit of just getting involved with the wrong people. If you look at that Japanese proverb at the end of this section, it says, when the character of a man is not clear to you, look at his friends. Isn't that powerful? When the character of a man or a woman is not clear to you, look at their friends. We talked last Sunday about the Continental Divide and how there's two springs at the Continental Divide. They're about 40 feet across, and yet the water from one ends up at the Atlantic and the one from the water from the other ends up in the Pacific. Well, you can make it even more dramatic than that. On the Continental Divide, there in the Rockies in Colorado, a drop of rain that falls on one side of the sign ends up in the Atlantic. And a drop of rain that falls on the other side ends up thousands of miles different place in the Pacific. I mean, they can be feet, maybe inches apart, and yet they end up in very, very different places. And so that's why we just got to be careful in our Christian lives, and we got to be careful uh, as a church. Song of Solomon 2, verse 15 says, Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards are vineyards that are in bloom. 
It's when your Christian life is in bloom. Watch out for the little foxes, the little compromises. It's when our church is in bloom that we got to particularly be vigilant about the little foxes that ruin the vineyards. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Now, this doesn't mean having relationships with unbelievers. Our whole church's strategy is based on the oikos strategy where we, are, we, we build relationships with those that are not followers of Christ intentionally. So it's not talking about that. Uh, being yoked together means don't be in formal relationship. It's, 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 it's talking about marriage and other things like that. Don't be in formal relationship with unbelievers. Amos 3, verse 3, do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so. Now, I want to apply this to us personally. We're going to end by just saying, you know, what's the Ahab in your life? What's the Ahab or the Jezebel in, in, in my life? Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a thing. Maybe it's a TV show you're watching that clouds your mind or something you're looking at online, on the Internet. Or maybe it is a relationship. Maybe it is a friendship. Um, maybe it's something else of that nature. So we're going to ask that personally. But, you know, I want to talk just before we finish off about we are facing a tough decision. Just like Jehoshaphat and his dad, Asa, with his grandmother, who uh, he loved. I'm sure he loved his grandmother, but she makes this idol. Uh, a tough, heartbreaking, sad decision that we have to make as a church within the next few weeks. Um, we have had for over 100 years, we have walked in agreement. We have been yoked together with the Boy Scouts of America. It's a, we have the oldest troop west of the Mississippi. Think of that. The first troop that was formed west of the Mississippi was formed by our church, sponsored by our church. And we've walked together for over 100 years. We've been yoked together. For over 100 years, we've agreed to walk together. But recently, they changed their position on sexual orientation. I want to make that clear. They changed. We haven't changed. For over 100 years, we've been steady on this thing. But they recently changed that. And because of their change of position, it would make it difficult for us as a church to counsel young men with their struggles in this area based on biblical principles and standards. We, we want to counsel young men that struggle in this area. We want to do it lovingly. We want to do it gently. We want to do it kindly. But we also want to do it biblically. And this change in their, in their position on this that they made, not us, they changed, has made it difficult for us to do this thing and to counsel biblically. Now, we're still hoping for a last-minute exemption clause. We're not even asking them to change their position. We're just asking them for an exemption clause for Bible-based churches like ours and, and, and so that we can follow our conscience. That's what we're asking them for. So if you look on the bottom of page 5 in your program, You'll see how you can go online, write a letter, or go online and express a hope for an exemption clause for Bible-based churches like ours. From the head of the Boy Scouts now is Robert Gates. Now, this guy is a tremendous leader. He's the new head of the Boy Scouts. He's the former Secretary of Defense under both President Bush and President Obama. And I had to chuckle to myself, this is a guy that's used to working in very different situations. Uh, you know, getting people to get along. I mean, he's worked under both President Bush and under President Obama. He should be able to lead and, and, and to make an exemption on the basis of conscience for Bible-based churches like ours. 
And I encourage you to pray for us and pray for them. And uh, send them a note if God should lead you to do so. Well, now let's make it personal. Right now, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Let me just ask you, what's, what's your Ahab? What's my Ahab? What's the little fox that if we are not careful and we compromise on it, it can ruin the vineyards that are in bloom? What's the little area where we're um, in agreement of walking together in a, with a situation that is causing us to compromise in our walk with God? And right now, Lord, we just ask you, would you show us this area, each of us individually, what it is for our lives? Would you show us what we need to do? And Lord, would you give us the strength and the commitment to do it? And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's family said, amen.